Good morning. Do you feel confident today? Huh? Do you? Well, you're gonna. Hopefully. Oh, kids, you can. You're just dismissed. You guys get the drill already. They're they're gone before I when I start my. Do you remember when you were a kid and you learned how to drive? Am I, am I, is this thing on? Do you want to come look at my light? Not you. <laughs> okay. And uh, it was a scary situation. But it's a scary situation for the parent if the parent was the one that was doing the teaching. Uh, sometimes we forget how hard it is for a young driver uh, to develop that confidence, and we forget that we were there once as well, and and it opens up a whole new level of confidence. It opens up a uh, a whole new level of coordination, especially if you're driving a, a standard shift car. You know, you got the feet, you got the shifter, you got the gas, you got, and uh, sometimes uh, it's it's difficult, but. We as adults that have been driving for decades, we take for granted all of those things. It's just kind of second nature to us. And that can kind of get us into trouble sometimes as well because we're not as focused uh, talking on the phone. Or If I see you talking on a phone and I'm, I know who you are, I'm going to turn you in while you're driving. Um, I first learned how to drive from the passenger seat. Yeah. I would, whoever was willing to, to let me, I would steer, and they would operate everything else. Remember that? And uh, as long as somebody was, in, was controlling the car, I was confident. But later, when I took full control, um, confidence kind of left. And especially, you know, when you had uh, uh, a sister in the back seat telling you how to drive and, and uh, the car and the traffic. And spiritual confidence is kind of similar to that. The Bible often pictures the spiritual life as being like a journey. And when we begin a journey, we lack confidence. We're kind of unsure of ourselves. And, and we, they're, they're doubtful of our ability to stay on that path. I have an ag- uh, agnostic acquaintance. Well, he's, a, he's, he's a friend. Uh, believes there's some kind of spiritual realm out there. You know, you call it what you want. John, you can, if you want to call God, that's, you know, I'm not opposed to that, but I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced. But I, I don't have a clue how to figure this out, and I don't really, don't really want you preaching at me, so I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'll be what i got to be right now. I've unchurched friends, and one unchurched friend in particularly, who is, is totally confused because they're in a place in town where, where the, the cults are always knocking on their door. And everyone has a different story to tell. And because he hangs out in, in his house on, on Sunday morning, he's, he, the only thing that's on is, is uh, uh, the, the Spanish game shows and televangelists. And so... He doesn't speak Spanish, and, and the right kind of, if the music's on, he'll listen to it. But then 
Then the speaker gets up and there's another confusing message. His wife works at a New Age store, and so he's just really confused. And, you know, how can I have confidence in a God that I don't see? And people are hearing this, these conflicting messages and confusing messages and listening to, to people that, that have a, a, uh, an agenda that we want to get money or, or for the poor kids over in, in another side of the world. But it's nothing about Jesus. So it's no wonder that they're, they're confused. And it's no wonder that, that they have a, a sense of not wanting to be associated with a God that they can't see and touch and smell and, and hear. Sometimes there are people who are believers. They, they came to Christ but there hasn't been any growth. And so they don't have any confidence in that spiritual walk on this spiritual journey that they have. There's, there's no confidence there. Uh, years ago, and, and this probably is still a, a, dark, a dark place in my oldest daughter Veronica's mind. I, I'm going to ask her when I see her next. But I taught, tried teaching her how to drive. I'm a pretty good teacher but not of my children. I found a, a place that is like an empty 40-acre field, and I, I believe she'd find something to hit. I set up uh, traffic cones. That girl hit or ran over every single traffic. The only traffic cones she didn't hit or run over were in the trunk of the car. And if she could have, she would have hit them. And so naturally, you know, being the calm, serene, godly father that I am, I calmly instructed her, right? <laughs> Not a chance. I mean, I was yelling. I was, I, you know, the, the invisible brake pedal. You know, I stomped a hole in the floor almost trying to get that thing to stop, grabbing the steering wheel. She was grabbing it back. It's lucky that we didn't wreck something. She was crying and yelling, and I destroyed her confidence because my lack of confidence and the best thing that happened to our father-daughter relationship was driver's ed in high school. She's a good driver now. Um, you know, in church world, new believers or, or people looking for spiritual answers are, are a lot like new drivers. They don't have confidence because they don't have the right information. They're still building, and they're trying to, to build that confidence, and sometimes... We who are mature in the faith aren't patient with them. And because we're not patient with them, they, we can, we, because there's a, there, there may be a behavior, there may be an attitude or something going on, and we just blast them. And that's, that's the, the worst that can happen because you keep doing that to young believers, and they won't last. They won't be around. They'll, they'll find someplace else. So if you're here today and you're relatively new to this spiritual journey, or, or maybe something has shaken your confidence, you've been a believer for a long time, and maybe something has shaken your confidence, I'm going to show you in, in the Scripture this morning how to walk with confidence in your faith. And there's four things that you need to do, I think. You need to have a, a life filled with prayer. 
You need to have a, a, a life focused on spiritual growth. You need to have a life filled with truth. And you need to have a, a faithful life. The first, the first thing that we're going to talk about is, is the, having a life filled with prayer. First John 5, 14 through 17, John writes, And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Think of that a minute. When we ask of anything that pleases him. A lot of people don't take any, any, uh, uh, any sort of, don't, don't, don't take that lesson to heart. They go right into verse 15. And it says, since we know he hears us when we make our request, which is true, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. And they say, uh-huh, see, biblical uh, uh, contradiction. I asked for X, and he ignored me. He didn't even give me Y. He gave me, I asked for X, and, he, and there's nothing. Well, it says, going back to verse 14, it, that, that he will give us uh, what, any, when we ask anything, he will give us what pleases him. So X didn't please him. Y didn't please him. Z didn't please him. Nothing in the alphabet at that time in your life pleased him that you were asking for. And so you keep asking, seeking God's will for your life, God's plan for your life. And the next thing you know, J will come into it. So you say, okay, I'll start asking for J, whatever that is. But it's important to know that just because you ask and he hears, he doesn't give it unless it's pleasing to him. If you see a Christian brother... Verse 16, or sisters sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. That's a, that, we're going to unpack that in a minute. That's a, uh, boy, people play games with that and twist it around, um, and I think that we're going to try and add some light there. So John starts by identifying a confidence that rightly belongs to followers of Christ. And, and he's writing this, this first, he's writing the First Amendment in the Bible. It's kind of like our First Amendment, you know, this, this uh, uh, freedom of speech. That's what it is. Confidence literally means freedom of speech. In ancient Greece, every citizen had freedom of speech or had confidence to say what was on his mind without fear of getting thrown in jail. Um, sort of like things have been in days gone by in our own country. The confidence that belongs to followers of Jesus Christ is the ability to ask, for, ask God for anything. We can ask for anything. That's not saying that he's going to automatically give it to us. But we can ask. We have that freedom of speech to ask. It's called prayer. And Christians can come to God uninhibited, full of assurance, and have complete freedom of speech in asking God for, for whatever. But there are Christians that feel if they have to get everything right, that everything right before they can ask God for anything, the, the right circumstances, the right time, the right place. You know, clean up your life and then come to me. And that's wrong too. You are a believer, you can ask. You have that freedom. You have that confidence. The condition to receive what we ask is the condition of God's will, 
which is translated two ways. And I think this is important to note. First, it can mean someone's innermost heart desire, that, that, that what that condition is, or something that's planned or intended. So both are fitting because they reflect God's heart and what He desires and has a plan for us. We just have to have patience in seeking that out in His, in his time and his, and his will. When you walk with somebody, obviously you won't be going in separate directions. So if we're walking together, usually we're, we're holding hands. Well, she's propping me up. And, and we're going in the same direction, right? It wouldn't make much sense if I'm going this way and she's going the other way. Uh, that happens a lot at Walmart. But uh, if you walk in a different direction, you can't hear them. You, can't, you, you certainly can't listen to them. And you can't enjoy, you can't share things with them. You won't be able to understand anything that they're saying or doing or if they need something. You've got to be walking in tandem. You've got to be walking side by side. And when you walk with God, when you walk with the Lord, your will is going to align with His will. When you are side by side with Jesus Christ, your will is going to be aligning with His will. And since you're walking side by side, your focus is going to be on Him. When, you, when, you constantly, when you're constantly walking with somebody, you're going to understand them better than you ever did. You're going to know their heart. You spend a long time with a person, years and years and years with a person. You're going to know their heart. Walking with God's not just a time in prayer in the prayer closet. It's a, it's a lifestyle that we can only obtain through Jesus Christ. And uh, I believe there are godly people in the high... I've been spending a lot of time in hospitals lately. And I believe there's godly uh, men and women in that hospital setting that are believers. And I believe that there are doctors and that there are nurses before they operate or even before they go in and check the vitals, before they give you a shot, that are praying and don't even know you. They have, they're so tuned in to praying and having their hearts aligned with God that it's a matter of their life. It isn't just doing their daily devotions. You know, picture going on a trip with your best friend and you take your dog. And your best friend doesn't like dogs, allergic to dogs, and really the dog doesn't like your best friend. And you know that if you bring your beloved puppy it's going to cause big problems. So because you have, a, have such a closeness with your friend, you're going to choose to leave old Fido at home. And in the same way, your journey with Christ, you're not going to bring along sins or distractions. I'm not saying leave the sins at home. I'm taking care of that sin before you go on that trip. When you walk with God, you choose to imitate Him and glorify Him in every possible way that you can. And that's talking to Him. That's through prayer. And I believe that praying according to God's will is exactly the same thing that the Bible means when it tells us to pray in the name of Jesus. And we end our prayers. It's, it's, sometimes it's a habit. 
You know, I pray these things in your precious name, and they'll, they'll have flowery endings to the prayer. And yet, it's, is that a habit? Or is that truly you lining your heart up with God's heart in your prayer life? I'm asking this. I'm agreeing with you, Lord Jesus, and I'm asking this in your name. And so you are, you are praying according to his will. And we learn to pray this way. And when we do, God is responsive to our request. John's not saying that God is in the, in the dark about our prayer requests. He knows exactly what's happening with, with, our, with our woes and with our, our pains. And, and uh, he understands the, the surgeries that have gone on and the, the problems that we're facing and going to face as we grow older, our aches and our pains and, and, and the, the losses that we experience. Uh, through relationships, through employment. He knows about that. It's not a surprise. And, and he's not in the dark when our prayer requests are aligned with his will. Here, you know, we hear, and it's often used in the Bible to describe responsiveness. You know, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. You know, responsiveness. We can be sure that God's responsiveness will lead us to possess the very things we're asking for because they reflect His heart. And this assumes that we know enough about the heart of God and the plan of God to pray this way. Say, so, well, I really don't know what you're talking about, John. How much time have you spent in the Word uh, last week? I don't want to show hands. How much time... Have you actually spent reading the Word of God just this, this, this last week? Okay, how, how, get you off the hook. How about the past month? How many times have you picked up the Bible and really read what it has to say? Because you're not going to know about God's heart or His plans if you don't know what God's heart is and what His plans are. You need to get your nose in the book. And I'm not going to be critical about anybody that uses electronic means to uh, read Scripture. You know, guilty as charged. Uh, the, the, uh, the Bible, the Word of God, is the Word of God. I bet Jesus, if he was alive today, he would be uh, taking advantage of every technical uh, tool in, in his possession. He, They'd probably have the Jesus satellite up there beaming stuff down. But uh, we need to be in the Word to understand what God is about. Prayer is not an attempt to twist God's arm to get Him to do what we want to do. He knows what we want. He knows how He's going to do it. But He delights in us asking for it. He wants us to talk to Him. We learn to, to pray according to God's heart and God's plan. When we do that, we place ourselves in a position to be instruments of his heart and his plans. And in effect, he works out the answers to our requests through us. So we pray for those things, and, and there's going to come a time where those prayers are answered. Just the right thing hasn't come along. And I know that, that there's, there's, there are people who are really praying for something to happen, and it's not happening be it a relationship, be it a job, be it, be it uh, 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 a move. And it's not happening because it's not God's timing. And we're not aligned with his heart and his plan because if we were, 
we would be able to say, you know, it's in your hands, it's in your, good, it's in your timing, and uh, I'm not going to get frazzled about it. The heart of, of prayer, I believe, is learning to pray. Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. That's not just a clever piece of scripture uh, we call the Our Father. Your will be done is a, is a tremendously powerful piece of theology that we are to embrace because we understand that God is in control here. But we are, because we love him, because we are walking with him, we are petitioning him. Lord, whatever it is, whatever it is, your will be done. Verses 14 and 15 are really describing our requests about our own needs and, and, and what we call petitions. 16 and 17 describe our prayer for other people. When we, when we see another follower of Jesus fall into sin, we're called to pray for that pe- person. We're supposed to immediately uh, go to that friend and, and say, uh, we're not to, to go to that person and say, hey, do you know what I just saw John do? Our first response is prayer, which will lift a person up to the throne of God and to seek his heart and plans for that person's life. Galatians 6.1 is a beautiful example of this. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, that's, that's, uh, that has been rendered, you who are spiritual. And that's, that's, really, a, uh, that, that's really not as accurate those of you who are godly, and this is talking about attitude, should uh, gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation as yourself. Nine times out of ten, if I'm struggling, I know what the struggle is. If I'm having a spiritual problem, I pretty much know what that is. The last thing any of us need is for some do-gooder to jump in our face and, and tell us that, you know, get your, get your life right because God is going to zap you, and if you don't, you're going to destroy the church, you're going to destroy your home, you're going to, your wife is going to run off with you, and the dog will die. We don't need that. It's with gentleness and humility that you restore that person. And, and the, the teaching point here is, if that happens and somebody comes to you and lovingly puts their arm around you or me and say, John, you know, this is, this is a problem and you're not doing it publicly, but you're doing it to restore this brother or sister in love because you see something that's a flaw that could be destructive in their life. You know, you're not, you're not, the, uh, you're not the sin police. We don't need that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But you who are godly, restore that person. <clears throat> Scottish preacher uh, in the 1800s, his name was Sidlow Baxter, uh, once said, People may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, and despise us as people, but they are helpless against our prayers. 17, all wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. Ooh. Ooh. That whole sin into death business uh, is confusing. Now, there's a large denomination 
that categorizes sin into two parts, moral and venial. Mortal is the, 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 that's the big one. You can't get out of that. A venial is a small sin. You know, <coughs> stealing a batch of cookies, something that's not going to condemn you to hell. Mortal sins can't be forgiven without some other things going on, but, but venial sins can be forgiven. And if that's what John's talking about, I wish he would have given me a list so I could know which ones aren't going to mess me up. Another possibility, though, is that these are sins that actually could lead to physical death. You ever thought of that? 1 Corinthians 11, 28, and 30, and this is in the New American Standard because I believe this is a, uh, probably the best translation of, of these verses that I've found. Paul writes, but a man must examine himself, and this is, they're talking about uh, having uh, communion. And some of the, some of the things that, that people were, were uh, having problems with in the church, it was causing problems in the church. If a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. A number of you are dead. God has taken them home uh, prematurely. Nothing's premature in God's timing. But from, from man's point of view, there was nothing wrong with them. God took them home. Young man uh, was out here in, uh, uh, we had the, the uh, NA uh, fundraiser uh, two weeks ago, last week, last Saturday, a week ago, and uh, I was talking to him, and, and uh, I've, I've known him, he'd been part of the, he hadn't been part of the church, but he had been in the church um, through, uh, through Mir, and had been sober quite a while, so he, he wasn't having any problems with sobriety or any struggles like that, and, and he kind of he took one of the guys to task about uh, a relationship with God. And so he, they, the, the thing ended, and, and he went home, and uh, the next morning they found him dead in his bed. They're going to do an autopsy, but they think that it was heart-related. Now, was that premature? I don't know. He was a young man, and maybe God had finished working with him, and it was time, to, it was time for him to go home. Um, I think we need to be careful not to be too critical of that. He's a good man, a fine, fine young man that had a lot of possibilities in his life. But that wasn't God's plan. But this sin unto death actually could lead to a physical death because of their, because of their sin. And God says, I'm not going to have you destroy my testimony any longer. I'm not going to have your shenanigans uh, hurt my church and, and lead, my, lead my children astray. I'm taking you home. This passage teaches that some Christians who'd abused the Lord's Supper had died as a result of God's discipline. And it doesn't mean that they weren't Christians, but it does mean that they had rebelled against God to the point that He ended their physical lives so they wouldn't rebel against Him anymore. That's a possible explanation. And this would mean that John is telling us to not pray for people who've died under God's discipline or for their sins 
but it means that the point is to pray for the needs of people, especially when, they see, when we see him, them struggling. Pray with them. Maybe there is something that we can do physically to help them out. We need to have a growth-focused life. 1 John 5.18 says, We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. For God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch him. Um, John is saying that a person who undergoes a thorough transformation as a new birth, uh, in a new birth by God can't continue on in his or her life as if nothing's happened. Yeah, I raised my hand. Yeah, I got baptized, but I haven't changed the thing that I'm doing. You know, what was the heart attitude? Because 1 John 1.8 says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. So stop playing games with God. A person born of God is now alive spiritually and unable to live the same way he lived before. You know Christians who've been believers for a long time but get stuck, grow uh, stuck in their, their growth is stagnant and they, they completely stop growing. And there's a, a story told of a, of a world-class celloist, Pablo Casals. He was 95 and he was being interviewed and they still practiced uh, every single day, and they, six hours a day, and the interviewer asked him, well, why in the world do you still practice? You're 95. He says, because I think I'm making progress. Think about us and why are we still praying. You know, we've got some, we've got some uh, 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 silver-haired uh, people in our church. Some of us have no hair, silver scalps. Put it back on, Jerry. I'm getting blinded. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, you don't stop. Just because we've got some years on us and some miles on us, we don't stop praying because we've learned so much, hopefully, in those years that we learn how to pray more effectively. And that brings us to the third, a life filled with truth, 19 through 20. Uh, John writes, We know that we're children of God and that the world around us is under control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we can know the true God and we now live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He's the only true God and He is eternal life. That's truth. That's truth. That's truth that you can hold on to. That's truth that you embrace. That's truth that can't be contradicted. And he, he uses tr- no three different times in that one verse, in that, this passage. And we can also know for sure that the whole world is under the control of Satan and, and the, the whole world lies in the arms of the evil one is how it literally reads. And notice the contrast with verse 18. While Satan can't touch the true child of God, he embraces the world system and culture and society that we live in. He tempts us with that. The word understanding means a pattern of thought. What's your pattern of thought today? How are you thinking? In counseling, uh, I, I've used this for years, that, that people that continue to have these, these issues and this self-deprecating uh, attitude of, I'm no good, I'm not this, I'm not that, we call that stinking thinking. Because we know for sure that God tells you something completely different. You are of value. You are of worth. In fact, there's only one of you and there's never going to be another one like you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And anything that you're saying that, that is contrary to that, the devil is putting in your head. So stop it if you're 
struggling with that because it's a lie. Live in truth. And the last thing is a faithful life. Dear children, verse 21, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. That's the final ingredient for walking in confidence. Walk with confidence by our spiritual journey, by developing that faithful life. The word keep away means to watch something closely, be like a guard watching over a prisoner or a bodyguard protecting a, a celebrity. We, we must never be passive in, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our alertness. This is something that only you can do for yourself. Your parents and your, your spouse can't do it for you. The church can't do it for you. I can't do it for you. But each of us must guard our own hearts and lives. So when we come to know Christ personally, we enter into a relationship of faithfulness where God promises to stay with us, to walk with us, forgive us our sins, and, and, and we have freedom to confess our sins. We embrace an idol, a God substitute, when we're unfaithful to that promise, just like a spouse who breaks the marriage vow. So what do we learn? You know, the main idols uh, Christians struggle with in our culture today are materialism, success, adventure, leisure, comfort. That's not a faithful life. So I look at this and I say, okay, what am I doing to ensure that I am walking with confidence? Head up, shoulders back, one foot ahead of the other going in the direction God leads me. I need to have developing, a developing a, I need to be developing a prayer life, a prayer-filled life. I need to be developing a growth-focused life. I need a truth-filled life. And finally, I need a faithful life. These are basic staples of the spiritual journey, and, and they're, they're good things that we often de- neglect. John invites us to renew our commitment to prayer and growth and truth and faithfulness in this. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the day, and, and thank you for your love. Lord, I love you. And, and you are you're the most important thing in my life. And Lord, your, your truth sustains me. Lord, I want to be faithful. I want to have a a deep, meaningful prayer life with you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, I I want to be focused on, on growth in my life. Help me to live that way. Help me to be a, an influencer of people who may be struggling. Lord, keep my heart open that I might be touched by those who are who are spiritual, that are wanting to make a difference, uh, uh, invest in me significantly some way. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for each of the the people that are in it. And I ask you that uh, whatever is going on in the lives of my brothers and sisters, that this day may be the day that you speak to them in a way that reminds them how very much you love them. Friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I, I really, I pray for you. Because if you die, you're going to go into a Christless eternity. And it's something that can be fixed very easily. You pray the prayer, and and if the prayer doesn't save you, it's what you're meaning in your heart. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, 
And in the best way I know how, I ask you to come and and forgive me my sin. I receive you as my my Savior. And I I now, I, I believe when you died on the cross, you took my place that I could live with you forever. And I thank you for that in your son's precious name. Amen.